Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. We're waiting for Susan to join us, it looks like. Somebody did just raise their hand. So, Susan, is this you? I guess not. We may just have to call her. We have a really good guest on tonight, Ann-Kate Sullivan. And um, here we go. On the phone. Hi, Susan. How are you? It took me a while to find the phone. The cat had put it under the bed. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, there must be something going on. That's yeah. what's going on. I'm, I'm ransacking the house going, where's the phone? 
<laughs> thanks for coming in for me while I was looking. Much appreciated. Oh, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I was just saying that we have a really oh. good guest. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have an amazing guest tonight who has written. Uh, I was reading a little bit of it at dinner, and I said she wrote uh, a book that it was so popular that it sold out on the very first day. And everybody said, well, gee, then I guess I can't get a copy. But I don't think that's what she means, right? I think right. if it sold out on the first day, they reprinted, and you probably can still get copies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was just a little odd, like, oh, it's sold out. It's like, what? <laughs> so we're looking forward to talking to Ayn Kate Sullivan um, this evening. And I was also mentioning that, you know, we always ask people to please give us ten questions that I can ask them. And she she gave me almost two dozen questions, so. I'm very much looking forward to hearing what she has to say about her writing and uh, why she is so involved on mytho- involved with mythology and folklore for the modern age, because I am too, and I want to know why she is. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like the older I get, the more I feel in tune with the wheel of the year and like the whole mythology of surrounding it. And so, yeah. Anytime I can hear more about it from people that have a lot of experience, <laughs> it's good. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What have you been up to this week? Well, um, so my son has decided that he no longer wants to attend public school, and he was going to a charter school that was um, somewhat alternative, but we're transitioning into like a homeschool situation, even though it's right before summertime. He couldn't even he couldn't make it through the end of the year, so I've been spending lots of time with him, and we checked out a homeschool cooperative and um, been making some herbal stuff on the side, of course, and um, yeah. <laughs> I yes. just you know people things in Monica Jean oh, also. I'm sorry, Justine, my daughter also did not really want to go to school, and so I said, great. Now this, of course, was before there was such a thing as homeschooling. And people mm-hmm. were all over me. They said, well, she's not going to get an adequate education. And I said, you know, my belief is that human beings are naturally curious and that we want to learn. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And I really see that many school situations turn that off in children, that they no longer want to learn. And so they wind up with a la- lifelong habit of thinking that learning isn't exciting and fun and that it isn't the thing they want to do. And I think that what we want as a lifelong habit is what's that? What's that? You know, every book that I write has a key word, and the key word for this new book abundantly well is curious or curiosity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, and if I'm really on myself, I feel like the public school system is almost like a daycare, you know, like for parents to have to work and stuff. And so it's forcing them to be in like this like group situation that – it's kind of it's it was dumbing him down like for his capability and like his imagination and what he really wants to be doing with his days so yeah yeah and left to their own without a curriculum most children learn more mhm it's hard to believe because yeah, we're so he, used to thinking oh you know there has to be a lesson plan there has to be a curriculum you know if they don't do this in this order it won't happen, but that's not what I see in allowing children to learn naturally. 
Yeah, and he was skipping lots of days, and I found when he was home with me, just, like, even doing, like, basic things around the house and, like, going into nature and, like, whatever we were doing, he was, like, learning more, you know, hands-on, like, applicable skills than he he was getting out of a whole day of school, like, even in just, like, moments of our day, so. Exactly, yeah. and we're, t- we're talking about children who live in enriched environments. In other words, whatever you do curriculum or not, your child is in an enriched environment where the adults in that environment read to themselves, read out loud their books and magazines and learning materials around. We are not talking about the child who's in a deprived environment and then is also deprived of a, of a curriculum. That's, that mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah, there's a and there's a little little something to grab hold of with curiosity. Yeah, and a lot of people I know that are doing homeschooling, and so there's a lot of resources, and I'm just gonna have to figure out how to do it. I mean, I'm just like in the busiest time of my life right now, and then like you know how it goes. It's just like okay, (laughs) here's another thing that you. (laughs) And here it is, the end of May, and our season is heating up. Yes, 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 oh, I know. Nettle to harvest, dandelion yes. to harvest, oh my gosh, people to teach, ew, yes, and now all the kids are home from yeah, school. And, <laughs> and people have been asking me to teach classes, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do it. I just have to put it out there and go for it, and so that's another that's another step to be taking right now, too. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. There is a <laughs> lot going on. Yes, I was just talking to the new apprentice you met last Tuesday, Cassandra, and saying that one of our goals is to teach the apprentices how to teach herbal medicine. Mm. Even if she doesn't think of it as her career to be a teacher of herbal medicine, it's always there to, shall we say, fall back on. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah, there can ever, it's, it's, I don't think there can ever be too many people teaching herbal medicine. Yeah, and it's pretty incredible, too. It's like every time I think, I mean... I just have so many ideas, and, like, it's really endless. I mean, you can just – it's an endless path of endless possibilities. So and just might as well start diving into it because it's not, you know, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's there. So It's there, and people want it. It's something that, you know, the idea of herbal medicine as people's medicine is very attractive to people. I did a class this weekend on herbal first aid, and I said herbal first aid, you know, is the way to – get people into herbs when they see what herbs can do on the outside of their body then they want them for the inside of their body mm-hmm. yeah for sure and I've been doing um, a few I've done like three plant ceremonies over the last month um, of just honoring like one plant at a time with the sound with a sound bath that goes along with it and yeah just like getting people used to that idea of using one plant at a time and it's just so far from a lot of the stuff that's out there, but people can really resonate with that and like really understand. And it's it's like, oh, I'm really forming this relationship. And yeah, yeah, that that's been really cool to see people just kind of change within like a matter of a couple hours <laughs> their whole like way of thinking. So yes, yeah. And let's see, you hosted for us a teleseminar last night between Nancy Vetter Schultz, the author of The World is Your Oracle, and myself. And she was talking about three different ways to do divination. There's the visual way. So, you know, we think of like um, 
casting runes or looking at cowrie shells or tarot cards. And then she was talking about proprioceptive ways. And I was talking about, you know, inner body feelings about things. And then she was also talking about oral or sound divination. Did that perk up your ears and, and cause you to be interested? Yeah, I was actually talking with her a little bit before you got on there because she had called in like about 15 minutes before it started. So we had a whole conversation about it, which was really nice and that wasn't recorded because it doesn't record until you all get on there. But um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I was talking to her about, you know, like my chanting practice and hers too. And she was saying, you know, that that kind of just clears the space to get into that mindset like or you know like um and then you can that's when all like that messaging starts coming through you know because you you can tune into the sound like people that have a hard time getting into like meditative states the sound can like really just like take away all of that that chatter and like that monkey mind and just like let you just go deeper into yourself into like you know, those layers of the, the limbic brain and then the reptilian brain, and then you're, like, in this, like, really old part of yourself. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's just wonderful. Amazing, yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting over in the uh, the drying studio surrounded by hanging nettle. Yes, it's very lovely in here. And it's dry enough now that we can push it to the back of the room and harvest a bunch more, especially because we've had a couple of sunny days. Hooray. Yeah, it's been super rainy here, but I, like I said last night, I have the comfrey hanging, and I love the comfrey too. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Just wonderful. Absolutely fun. So what are we up to with Abundantly Well? The bound printed galleys are on a truck. They should be delivered tomorrow or the next day, so I'll have them to take with me to the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference so that people can see what the book looks like. There's still illustrations missing. There's typos. It's not indexed. It's not a book. It's just bound printed galleys. And one of the reasons to have them at this point is because we do want people who um, would like to to write some blurb, which basically means a short statement um, is telling people that they would enjoy themselves if they bought the book. A blurb can be about me. It can be about my work. It can be about the book. So if anybody wants to write a blurb for us, just let us know, and we'll tell you how to go about it. If you need bound printed galleys to do that, we're happy to send you bound printed galleys. We're looking around for people who would like to do this for us. So if you're listening in and want to, Get in touch with one of us, me, Rebecca, Justine, Kim, whoever you're in touch with in the Wise Woman team will help you do that. And do, do, do. by the time the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference is happening, which will be, what, today, a week and a half or so, it's not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, by the time that has happened, we will have an Abundantly Well website where you can go and pre-order the book. And we know that you can also pre-order it on Amazon at the same price. So what we're doing to make it just a little sweeter for you is we're offering you half off of the accompanying course. I did this winter, I did a Abundantly Well course, which is all of the meditations and so on in Abundantly Well. 
actually spoken out loud so that you can follow along with them and a whole lot of other stuff to a Tai Chi demonstration, yoga demonstration, just all kinds of fun things. So we're going to offer that course to anybody who pre-orders the book at half off. That's a $50 discount from that course. So Justine and I have been mulling this over for weeks of what special thing we wanted to do for people and that. We kind of egged each other on to make it that great and that glorious. So we hope you'll join us for Abundantly Well. And for the bound printed galleys, do people need to send a, a vanilla envelope for that? They, or they, is that what do you need to If they just send us their address, we'll take care of sending it to them. Oh, okay. Cool. And there's PDFs as well, of course. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, how exciting. Getting closer and closer. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just saw there was a, a position posted for getting the word out about the book and everything on Facebook. And, yeah, she says they stopped uh, taking applications, so they must have, it must have got a, a lot of people interested. <laughs> <laughs> I think she said she had six people in the first 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. imagine it would be pretty popular. That's great. We're we're excited. All right. That. Yeah, especially because I'm going out and about and we'll be uh, doing some traveling, so it's good to have some more help. Mm-hmm. Okay, Any anybody with their hand raised tonight? Yes, we have some people, and if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to ask your question. The first caller is coming from the 240 area code. Oh, for some reason it went to the bottom. Are you there in the 240? Oh, yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. Yes, thank you. I have some good news, a progress report. I do all the infusions that you talk about, and I never go to the doctor, and I finally went. And the doctor was like, what are you doing? Like, everything looks great. And I was just like, yeah, I have some green friends that help me. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. But I was like, maybe I can show you one day. <laughs> so everything was great. <laughs> this is that um, wonderful. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you for teaching this beautiful work. You are welcome. Um, and for doing it and and reaping the benefit of a... a your abundant health yeah and there's just one concern i have um fibroids and i get hormonal headaches and i thought chickweed was an ally for that but i think chickweed is for cysts if i'm not mistaken so i noticed that when i take the chickweed regularly in tincture form I notice my, my my migraine isn't as bad. It's my, a lot more mild. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if where I read this, but it should be treated when it's a hormonal migraine. It should the I guess the fibroids should be treated. So I'm just wondering what herb calls your name for fibroids. Fibroids are so common that I consider them normal. 
Okay. They can be troublesome. They can cause pain. They can cause bleeding. They can press on the bladder and cause incontinence. They can press on the rectum and interfere with bowel movements. They can bleed. And heavy menstrual bleeding is the leading cause of uterus removal in the United States. So the fact that fibroids are normal and okay doesn't mean they can't bother you. Are your fibroids at that point? Is it a bother to you? Are you bleeding heavily? Um, I'm getting the bladder thing where I, I think it's pressing up against my bladder. Mm-hmm. Because I'm constantly going to the bathroom. Uh-huh. Um, and what else? My bleeding, I think the infusions help regulating that. I think, I mean, do. yeah, I think it's They do, absolutely. Me. Absolutely. Yeah. Hormones are, needless to say, incredibly complicated. And hormones are specialized kinds of fat that carry messages in the body. So the fact that we have hormones means that we are always going to have hormonal reactions. When we have reactions like what you're characterizing as a hormonal headache, is usually caused by the liver's inability to take the hormones apart and put those pieces back in the body. So here's how it happens. The, you know about Tinker Toys, right? You've seen Tinker Toys. They have like those round parts that like kind of look like bagels, right? With a little hole in the middle and then holes around the edges. And then there's sticks of varying lengths and colors, and you can make things with Tinker Toys. So that round part, that like little wooden bagel, is cholesterol. Almost all hormones are based on cholesterol. And then the sticks of various colors and various lengths are added to that, and that makes different hormones. So it could make a follicle-stimulating hormone, a testosterone, or it could make a strace, or um, a stradiol, all different kinds of hormones. And I'm just mentioning a few of the sexual hormones. Of course, there are many other hormones as well, thyroid hormone, pituitary hormones, and so on. So these hormones, which are specialized fats that act as messengers, are circulating in the blood and giving out their messages. And after they've done that for a certain length of time, the liver is supposed to take them apart. Just like you take your kids' tinkertory creations apart at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And throw those raw materials back into the blood, those tinkertory parts, so the body can make new hormones. If the liver doesn't do that, then the hormonal message keeps being given over and over and over again. And the new hormone, which is supposed to replace it, doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, I often say that the only difficulty that we have with hormones is when our hormones are balanced. Mm-hmm. because that means they're not moving. And moving is what we want for our hormones. Yeah. So headaches that have to do with the liver not being able to clear hormones as rapidly as it needs to 
usually start at the front of the head. Yes. Not at the back of the head. And they will often start around the occipit area, around the eye area, the forehead and the eye area, because that's the area in Chinese medicine that relates to the liver. So rather than looking for something hormonal, which is going to just put more hormones in the body, what we would want to do is say, what can we use that would make the liver happy? Mm -hmm. And those are common herbs. Dandelion makes the liver happy. Chicory makes the liver happy. Yellow dock makes the liver happy. Milk thistle makes the liver happy. Okay. So any um, of those, it, oh. just about any way. As a matter of fact, I say of dandelion, that's the world's most generous plant. Pick any part of dandelion, prepare it in any way, and you have an effective herbal remedy. Okay. And most people have plenty of dandelion around where they live. If you don't think about yellow dock, which is also an extremely common plant, or chicory, or milk thistle is frequently for sale. It's usually milk thistle seed. Mm-hmm. And it's not really that milk thistle is the only thistle that works. In fact, any thistle seed that you could harvest. One of the reasons that milk thistle seed is used is because milk thistle is absolutely enormous thistle. Have you ever seen artichokes growing? I haven't. Artichokes are a thistle, and when they grow, they're six to seven feet tall, and milk thistle is taller. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's Um, easy. Easy to get a lot of seeds from the milk thistle and not so easy to get seeds from the others. But any of those yeah. can be formed. And usually with liver-loving herbs, it's suggested that they be taken at mealtime. Okay. Because, of course, they can also help with digestion. Okay. Um, now, as I've I said, experimented hormones, with dandelion. Hormones are complicated, and sexual hormones are especially complicated. And one of the reasons that they're complicated is because there are basically three sources of hormones. Our bodies make hormones. There are hormones in plants. And a great many chemicals that are now in our environment act as hormones in our body. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the other, the other thing to think about if you're thinking, oh, gee, you know, the problems I'm having are related to hormones is – to improve the organic portion of your diet. Mm-hmm. Many people buy organic produce, organic fruit, organic vegetables, and I have nothing against that. But the amount of residue from agricultural pest, pesticides and herbicides in non-organic butter is so large that you would have to eat non-organic produce for 10 years to get the same amount of chemicals that you get in that one pound of non-organic butter. Okay. So I say if you have enough money, keep buying organic produce and buy organic butter. If you don't have enough money, don't buy the organic produce. Buy organic butter. Buy organic olive oil. Buy organic eggs. Mm, Buy organic anything that has fat in it. So we can see fruits and vegetables, ah, not much fat in them. They are the least important thing to consume organic. Okay. Okay, got it. Thank you so much. 
You are welcome. And, of course, there's quite a bit of information about fibroids in down there. If you don't have a copy of that, if your library does, and check out the information I have about dealing with fibroids in down there. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you, too. The next caller is coming from the 816 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. I'm so glad to have you take my call. Thank you. You're welcome. I have two questions um, if we have time. The first is that I live in a country area and I got a tick bite. No, it's not the first. I've had many. But I didn't. So I don't always do anything about my tick bites, and I didn't, and it's been a couple of days, and it's now it's in my groin area, and this morning I woke up, actually was really itching last night, I'm traveling, I'm not at home, I'm in the city, um, it, 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 and, and I was wanting to find some plantain, and I'm in this manicured area where I couldn't find anything, so this morning and it was really raining and a flood warning so I just went to bed and this morning I woke up throwing up diarrhea headache and in the past some years ago I felt like this and it turned out that I had ehrlichiosis and I actually was like 10 days in the hospital because they couldn't they didn't realize what I had at that point um so that was the first time I had ehrlichiosis, and I think I've had it, like, since then. So I think that might be what I have. So I'm just going to stop you for one moment to to tell the listeners that what what she's talking about is what's called a co-infection. In other words, we really focus in on Lyme disease and Lyme disease being spread by tick bites. But the fact of the matter is that ticks can spread quite a number of different diseases, and especially in the Northeast, anything but Lyme is usually called a co-infection, but they can be much worse than the Lyme. When you had it before, you did antibiotics in the hospital? I did. They put me on doxycycline, and my doctor recommended that I take doxycycline I picked up a bottle of pills two hours ago, and I haven't taken them because I wanted to see if there was something else I could do. I um, do, do you work with echinacea? Um, I do not have any. I mean, I yeah, yes, I I don't have any with me. Right. Well, that's why I'm asking you because I know that you're in kind of an odd situation there. Um, so certainly, you know, taking echinacea in quite lavish amounts, three or four dropperfuls at a time, about an hour apart, uh, but that's going to be expensive to go out and buy, and you may not even have access to buy it. No. So that's, of course, one of the advantages to pharmaceuticals are just about everywhere you look. Yes. Stephen Booner has great faith in astragalus as being something that that sets our immune system up to repel these tick-borne diseases. And certainly by the beginning of May, I'm endeavoring to have a, quite a lot of astragalus in my diet. 
if you have astragalus mm -hmm. with you, it would be a good idea to take it. I don't think that it's going to get rid of ehrlichiosis. Mm-hmm. But it will certainly help your immune system and or if you had astragalus that you could make into an infusion. That's one of the things that I think about if I get bit by a tick. I can usually tell right away, you know, the tick's been on there. Not at all. It just, you know, I just stopped traveling around and it's just settled down. Um, or it's been there a while and I really need to take effective action. And if it's been there and I need to take effective action, I will put Echinacea tincture right on the bite, and then I will make myself a quart of astragalus infusion, and I will drink that. And if I see that there appears to be some kind of infection going on, I will take either Echinacea or Hypericum perforatum, which I call St. Jones wort. Mm -hmm. My preference is to use St. Jones wort, but again, very lavish amounts need to be used. Yes. So I guess I maybe I should just take this doxycycline. It's what's I available am, to you. I'm I'm signed up to go to the workshop next week and to come to your intensive. So I and I have a nine-hour drive, so I have a lot. I have. I, I want to be well. I hear you. Where are you, you're coming into Wisconsin? Where are you driving from? from? Missouri. Missouri. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of beautiful farmland to drive through. Yes, it is, and I'm so excited. But I just kind of didn't want to have to take this medicine. Well, I do understand, and I don't either, and that's why when I travel, I usually take a large bottle of Echinacea tincture with me, uh, and depending on how long I'm going to be gone, at least an ounce of Hypericum, because I don't like to be in a situation where I have to take drugs, so instead I put myself in a situation where I have to carry bottles of tincture around, but that seems preferable to me. So that, well, that might be something that you want to do, too, is to start creating... I a little herbal first aid kit of tinctures. Um, yeah, I remember Seven Song, um, who's st still with us, and he um, decided that his real herbal calling was to be the herbalist at Rainbow Gatherings, and he has the most amazing first aid kit, which includes, it's a very big first aid kit, it's big enough to include a teddy bear. <laughs> well, I have echinacea growing, and I will definitely make it this summer. Is but it three years old now? Excuse me? Is your Echinacea three years old now? Yes, it's that old. Okay, good. Because it needs to be at least three years old before you can tincture the root. And get your bottle and everything ready because the root needs to be tinctured within, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of being dug. Okay. Um, thank you. You um, are yeah, welcome. Green Can I blessings. Ask one other question. Oh, I, I was just going to say, um, I do believe that taking um, yogurt with the antibiotic is a very good idea. And okay. the most modern studies have found that you do not need to take the antibiotic past remission of symptoms. Well, that, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Great. And then you had another question. So, my other question was. Um, Collecting seeds, you talk about harvesting seeds and, like, putting them with your oatmeal. We have a lot of tatsoi seeds coming on from my tatsoi plants, and also there's just the dock 
everywhere. It's full of seeds, and I'd never harvest them, and I don't know when or exactly how to do that. Or, or would those be seeds you would harvest? Okay, so the first one you're talking about is a cultivated member of the cabbage family. Is that correct, Totsoy? Yes. Okay. So would you put mustard seed in your oatmeal? No. Well, that's what the tot soy seed is, is mustard seed. It's in the mustard okay. family. So I don't okay. think you would like it at all. Oh, I don't think so either. You can keep, harvest some of those seeds to grow more plants. Yeah. And you harvest any seed when it's ripe. The trick is to get it before it falls on the ground. So often people will watch the plant, and they'll, as they watch the plant, especially with something like top soy, where the lower seed pods will ripen first, you can kind of get a sense of when it's almost ripe but not quite, and then take it in the house and let it finish ripening in the house where you'll get the seeds instead of having them just fall on the ground. Yeah. Yellow duck seeds are sometimes called wild buckwheat, and they're an excellent food seed, but... I do not use very much of them because they have a lot of chaff with them. Oh, okay. Plantain seed and lamb's quarter seed are some of the easiest seeds to work with because the chaff that comes with them is edible. Okay, well, all right. So when you harvest plantain seed, all you have to do is harvest the ripe seed, dry it, and then put it in a jar. And I drop one of those little packages of desiccant in with it, too, so it doesn't mold up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm if it's been a really, really wet season, I'll even, you know, I have a pilot light on my oven. So just, you know, it's about 100, 102. It's not cooking the seeds at all, not hurting any of the oils, but it's making sure there's no free moisture in them. Some people even go so far as to pop their seeds, but that does harm the oil, and then you have to use them pretty fast if you subject them to that much heat. So that makes the lamb's quarter and the plantain super easy. I also use quite a bit of amaranth seed, and I do have to winnow out the chaff. The chaff is really nasty, but it is winnowable. The chaff is a very Mm -hmm. different weight than the amaranth seed. The amaranth seed is heavy. The amaranth chaff is light. So I can do your... Just traditional thing of a large shallow pan, toss it in the air, the heavy seed drops in, and the wind blows the chaff away. Yeah. Yellow dock seed, the seed is not much heavier than the chaff. Okay. So the way that I have seen people do it is to wet it down, to throw the yellow dock seed and the chaff into a tub of water, and the chaff will float. It is lighter enough to float. And the seed will usually sink to the bottom. But then your seed's all wet. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you would only do that just before you're going to eat it. It's also more stringent than the other seeds. And like buckwheat itself, needs to be toasted before being eaten. Most people don't eat raw buckwheat. They eat kasha, which is toasted buckwheat. Right. Well, what so it's just a lot longer haul on the yellow tox seeds. It's pretty easy to gather. There's lots of them there. Then you've got to get rid of the chaff. Then you have to toast them, and then you have something ready to eat. It's kind of like acorns. I mean, what a great food source. And I spent a week 
making my first acorn meal, and all I did, all I could do was like bow down to it, and I never did it again. It was just too much work <laughs> for my life. Hey, I, I'm sure that if my life was feeding myself from acorns, it wouldn't be too much work, but it isn't. Right. And of course, I didn't okay. have any specialized equipment that you needed. Yeah. Because you don't just have chaff on an acorn; you have a shell. Yeah. Yeah, you got a big thing to deal with. All grass seeds are edible. There's no poisonous grass seed. Our ancestors have eaten grass seeds for probably 500,000 years. The idea that there was a paleo diet that didn't include grains is just crazy. We didn't cultivate grains, but we sure ate them, and we ate a lot of them because all grass seeds are edible, and they give us, you know, really staying solid energy. So if you're interested in wild seeds, you can pretty much experiment with the grass seeds and see which of those harvest easily, which have a chaff you can get off easily, and which are big enough to make it worth your while. Okay. Thank you. All right. That's great. Yeah. Good luck to you. Green blessings. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. We, of course, were noticing we had harvested some chickweed, and we harvested so much of it because this is the, you know, like the week for chickweed that we put some in a bag in the refrigerator, and we noticed that that bag was filled with chickweed seeds when we took it out. Have you ever noticed that, Rebecca? Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty easy to collect chickweed seed, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're always just right at the bag. Put the refrigerator, shake once or twice over a 24-hour period, take the chickweed out, and there's your chickweed seeds. And yes, they were used as a foodstuff. They were often mixed in with flour to be ground with the wheat. Shepherd's purse seeds, too. Now, my shepherd's purse doesn't Hmm. grow that big. And I thought, shepherd's purse seeds, what? That wouldn't do anything. But I have now and then happened across some very big stands of very big shepherd's purse, especially around barnyards. And I could see where you could really harvest enough to make a really decent flower extender. Although, like the seeds of the tatsui, they are a little, woo, mustardy bitter. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of my chickweed seeds went in my garden this year so I could have a little patch at my house. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I have to try to eat them at some point. Right, and from, that, and from then on, the chickweed will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. We harvest nettle seed as well, and, of course, the nettle seed doesn't have any chaff, so it's extremely easy seed to harvest. My daughter Justine was showing me her nettle patch, and she has a gorgeous nettle patch. It's solid nettle, and it must cover half an acre. The only problem is that it's growing down the side of a cliff, and neither one of us could figure out how we could even get there at all. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we stand on the deck and admire her beautiful nettle. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, she does have some up in her garden, and I have plenty to share. Good. All right. Well, we'll go to the next caller here, coming from the 250 area code. Hello? Hi. Hey, it's Anna calling. How are you? Hi, Anna. I'm well, and how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I have two questions. Um, I went to see the ENT um, because of my – I was sent to go – because I had a hearing test, and they said there was an imbalance with the left ear to the right ear, and they thought it needed to be investigated. 
So the ENT said that um, it's nothing serious, but the eustachian tubes, especially the left ear, are clogged. And um, she recommended I use a steroid spray. So I wanted to speak to you before I went ahead with that, if at all. So let's start where you started. You started with the hearing test, yes? Yes. And you had that hearing test because? Uh, Because I had, um, about a month ago, my hearing on my left ear was very, it was foggy. um, Like, yeah. Is the left ear the one with you clogged your station to? Yes, and um, I would hear like almost like a rushing water, like a tinnitus, yeah. rushing water. On that side, it is far better. Like um, it's far better than it was. Like the fogginess is cleared. Um, and I told her that as well. And um, but she said for me to do the steroid spray for three to four months, and then go back to the hearing test again, and then go see her again. Um, so I, I hesitate to use anything that's steroid. There's um, certainly a difference between steroids applied externally and steroids taken internally. Okay. As a matter of fact, you can go right into the drugstore and buy steroid creams. Okay. They're considered that safe when they're used externally. Uh, but this is something she wants me to spray up my nose to try and clear the... Ah, uh, not part. in your ear. No, she's, it's, uh, um, uh, it's okay. In, the, so sorry. she's trying to get to your ear through your nose, which is why they're, they're ear and nose and throat, right? Cause they're all... Yeah. Well, what I ask myself is, am I being bothered by this more or less than I would be bothered by using the drug? Okay. So if you're being bothered by it less than you're bothered by using the drug, then there's no real point to use the drug because it's going to bother you. Osha Ligusticum porteri is a very interesting plant in the celery family. And it's related to Angelica. You'd have to spell it for me. That's a fancy O-S-H-A, Osha. O-S, sorry? H-A, Osha. O-S-H-A. Okay. OSHA. Just like yeah. it sounds, right? OSHA. I've, I wrote it down. Thank you. OSHA. Okay. OSHA has the amazing ability to counter histamine reactions. Wherever there's swelling, OSHA counters that swelling. Okay. It's not an antihistamine. In other words, it doesn't stop the production of histamines. It stops the cells from absorbing the histamine. Okay. I think of it kind of as a trick. I use OSHA very rarely, but I use it when there's a situation where I really want to counter some kind of bothersome. And how would uh, how would you take Usually it? Usually sold as a tincture of the root. Okay. And I usually suggest that people start with a starting dose of two to four drops of the tincture. Okay. So one ounce bottle will last you the rest of your life, and you could probably even give half of what away to someone else and still have enough for the rest of your life. So two to four drops a day, unless you feel that it's being very effective and you want more. 
Okay. Where OSHA grows, and it grows only at elevations over eight or 9,000 feet, and mostly in the Rocky Mountains, where it grows, the native people boil it up and make a really strong decoction and drink that all winter to prevent colds and flus. They also oh, call wow. it rattlesnake medicine. They say if you have a piece of OSHA root in your pocket, that a rattlesnake won't bite you. But if the rattlesnake doesn't smell it and bite you anyhow, then you chew on the OSHA root and it makes the rattlesnake bite harmless. Wow, that's powerful. It's very, very powerful plant. It's not a plant that I talk about very much because I'm concerned that people will overuse it even just by buying it. Even if you just buy it and don't use it at all, that's already overuse. Oh, okay. Because that plant has now been harvested, right? Yeah. It's a perennial root. So I'm very protective of OSHA. I don't want any more OSHA harvested than needs to be harvested. And I encourage okay. people, if they buy a bottle, to consider sharing it with someone else. Certainly there are times when it can be a real lifesaver. If someone's going into anaphylactic shock, OSHA can save the day. Wow. So I would say yeah. try some, you know, try it for a week or two and see if you continue to see improvement in what's happening with your ear. And if you do, okay. it's safe enough to take a tiny bit on a daily basis. I usually don't take it on a daily basis because I don't find it particularly helpful on a daily basis. In fact, I think of OSHA like a trick. And it tricks the body into not responding to the histamine. And then after a while, the body says, well, I know your trick. I'm going to respond anyhow. So I like, uh, yeah, I like to use OSHA, you know, short term and then see where you're at. And then if you need to use it short term again, you know, for a week or two. Mm -hmm. Generally, when I take OSHA, I'm taking a single dose. Okay. A single dose. Oh, and not every day. No, no, once. That's it. Single dose. That's it. Oh, wow. So should I? I'm taking OSHA. It's for something that's going to be resolved right then by the OSHA, and I don't need to do it again. The reason we're talking about you're taking it possibly on a daily basis is because the steroid spray was suggested for you on a daily basis for months. Yes. And I'm cutting that down to a week or two. Oh, okay. So take two to four drops a day for a week or two and see. And see where you're at with it. You should, with OSHA, you usually see results immediately. My Aunt Rose was in California for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and she came to me with her eyes all red crying, and Aunt Rose is not a very romantic woman. I looked at her, and I said, are your allergies kicking up, Aunt Rose? She said, yes. She said, and I left my medicine at home. I said, oh, so you're in the clutches of the herbalist, are you? She made kind of a face and said, I guess so. So I sent her in the kitchen for a glass of water, got out the OSHA tincture, Put four drops of OSHA tincture in the water and had her drink it. And you could see that she's going, oh, mercy me, four drops of some potion. Like, that's going to do anything at all, right? I have to take heavy duty drugs. So she walks out, somewhat dissatisfied. About ten minutes later, she's back and she goes, that works faster and better than any drug I have ever taken. What was that stuff? Wow, that's great. It's amazing. However... However, four or five hours later, she said to me, I need more. And I said, yeah, you probably do. It's about right. It lasts for about four hours. I said, but 
My experience has been that the body does not like to be tricked. I can give you another dose now, but by the time it comes to bedtime, it's probably not going to work. So my suggestion is tough it out for the rest of the day, and I'll give you another dose before bed. And we got her through five days of four drops in the morning and four drops at night. Okay. But I should just take one dose of four drops a day, not twice a day? I'm not in charge of your body. You are. Okay. But you're, you you're have the... to figure some stuff out, too. You can't say Susan said. You have to talk to your body and the plant and figure this out. I'm giving you oh, lots okay. of information here. Yep. And okay. Do you, do so you, think you it's figure related? it out. How much do you need okay. to take? How often do you need to take it? What kind of effect are you getting from it? You're not going to hurt yourself. Yeah. So do you think it's related listen to, to allergies? Your, listen to your body. Listen to the OSHA and see okay. what's going to work for you. We're all individual and unique. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. And, and my next, my other question was, um, candida, is olive leaf extract a good thing for candida? And do you recommend a probiotic at all for, you know, d- daily probiotics? Is, is this candida sitting here in the room with me? Sorry? This disembodied candida, is it sitting in the room with me? This candida that is not connected to any being, is it sitting here in the room? Uh, no, I just have symptoms because I wasn't oh, you on. Have to, oh, it has to do with you. Oh, for, with me, yes. Well, you didn't, <laughs> didn't say that. You said candida, like it was just some oh. uh, a blob sitting here with us. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, uh, olive leaf extract was recommended. I want to talk about you, please. About for me, yes. What to uh, talk- I, you please, I do not want to cure diseases that are blobs sitting in the room. No, no, no. Want to make help was... people. I'm not interested in prescribing or suggesting or recommending or having anything to do with any herb that cures any disease. Oh, okay. I, I see. want you to be healthy, so we have to start with you, yes? Yes, of course. We can't start with Candida. Candida does not exist oh, okay. as an entity. You exist. Yep. All right. You think you have symptoms of candida. To me, yes. that is meaningless bull donkey. Oh, meaningless. okay. Totally absurd, crazy, nuts. Oh, okay. That's why I want to talk about you. Okay. Candida albicans is a organism. It's actually a yeast, and it is extremely common yeast found throughout the human body, and it is extremely necessary for good health. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good to know. No candida, no good health. Oh, okay. Now, there are thousands of different microorganisms, molds, yeast, bacteria, fungi, that live in our gut. Mm-hmm. If the other ones that live in our gut are killed by some agent, then candida, which can reproduce very rapidly, will fill up the empty spaces. There can only be a candida overgrowth if the gut flora is not healthy. Okay. Getting rid of candida destroys the rest of the gut flora, making the condition worse. 
So it's sort of a healing a healing agent. So what you need to do is to increase gut flora and to figure out how you kill that gut flora. The usual suspect that people say is, oh, antibiotics, and it's true. Antibiotics do kill gut flora. It's absolutely true. But I think more to the point is that food preservatives kill gut flora. Yeah. And chlorine in the water kills gut flora. Oh, okay. And essential oils kill gut flora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's essential oils in toothpaste. True, yes. And mouthwash. And shampoo, and body lotion, and soap. So it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So my usual recommendation to anybody who says, ooh, you know, I think maybe I have a candida overgrowth situation, is then what you need to do is to really get all essential oils out of your diet, out of your body, and out of your house. Oh, I don't have essential oils in the house. So Um, you brush your teeth with? It's Dr. Bonner's toothpaste. Yeah, which contains essential oil. Oh, okay. And you wash your body with? Uh, Just a health health store soap. Which has essential oil in it. Oh, so what what would you wash with? That's what I'm saying. You are impacting yourself with essential oil in your personal care products. Most people do. You can use pure Castile soap. Okay. Unscented. Dr. Bronner's even makes it. Yeah, I'm right. Along it with down his lavender here. and peppermint and all the other scented stuff. And all those scents come from essential oils. If if you can smell anything, that's an essential oil. Oh, okay. So I think that's as important as any kind of probiotic or prebiotic. Mm-hmm. Do you eat yogurt on a regular basis? Not regularly, no. I you might want to start being more regular in your yogurt eating. Yeah, and the pure yogurt, no sugar, no additives. Yeah. You I can add fruit one. to your yogurt if you want to. Yeah. Okay. But add that fruit at home, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like a coated tongue is a sign of... A coated tongue is not a sign of anything, excuse me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, usually you know, one my of tongue is... the things that has ahead. happened is that subtle systems of diagnosis, which are used in conjunction with other ways, are somehow sectioned out and treated as though they themselves were diagnostic systems. They're not. Tongue diagnosis is secondary to pulse diagnosis. Okay. You can't just look at the tongue and decide what's going on, especially yeah. if you don't know five-element theory and you don't know which way the chi is going. Mm-hmm. And that's what I yeah, find. That that a lot of people like, you know, take a weekend workshop or read a book about tongue diagnosis and then start diagnosing themselves from their tongue, and it messes them up. Yeah, it's a traditional Chinese medicine doctors who can look at you and give more diagnosis, right, in that regard. Exactly, because they're not just looking at your tongue. They're feeling your pulses. They're looking at your face. They are gathering yeah. information with both fists. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Okay. Yeah, so it's not just what your tongue looks like. 
Oh, okay. Okay. It's Good extremely rare. I, the only people I have actually met with real candida overgrowth are people who are in the last few weeks of their life because of um, AIDS or because of cancer and especially chemotherapy treatment from, for cancer. So if somebody has uh, been, you know, treated with chemotherapy and or heavy radiation, they can get a, a really serious candida overgrowth. Babies get white tongues. That's called candida on the tongue. It's called thrush, and it has nothing to do with candida in your gut. Oh, okay. That's where you're connecting that, which is kind of a dubious, spurious connection for an adult. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I've learned lots yeah. today. Yeah, and when you have, when you actually have thrush, your tongue burns. Okay. It's not just a benign coating on your tongue. It's an infection. Okay. Okay. All right. I think you're doing great. Okay. I think you're healthy. Keep treating yourself well and enjoy yourself. Thank you, Susan. I, I really appreciate your your kindness, and I love this show. It's wonderful to to hear all your you know the wisdom. Thank and, you. Good night. Thank and you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 973 area codes. Hi, Susan, and hi, Rebecca. Thank you for taking my call. Susan, your, your wonderful um, ideas and strategies for the art of daily living have really imprinted, and so about 14 years ago, I started measuring out one ounce of dried herb and rotate through the infusions and have really enjoyed your other tips like a quart of plain yogurt and um, I grow an abundant garden of, of herbs and, um, and plants and, and really enjoy it. So I'm calling because I have um, encountered uh, an interesting experience um, in my daily life um, with, a, I think, a strong foundation of the wise woman tradition and philosophy that I'm really looking for insight on. On occasion, and it's rare, I have to drive across large bridges, like on occasion the George Washington Bridge but uh, in New York City, but, um, or an Annap the Annapolis Bridge, and I unexpectedly have I guess been getting almost panic attacks while I'm driving where my hands start sweating profusely. Um, I have your CD of the chant from the Wise Woman Center 25th anniversary, and I have Marie Summerwood's chant. So, you know, I have, I know how to self-soothe when these experiences have happened driving across bridges. I know how to stay very focused telling myself that um, I'm safe, I'm protected, and I use songs to really soothe myself. But this never happened before in my life. This has been happening just in the last, I would say, in the last year. And um, I, I'm calling in because um, I guess I'm looking for both um, 
if you have any strategies, um, mm. even with nourishment from oat straw infusion, which I, I literally was sipping in my mason jar in my car right before this last episode happened, traveling across the Annapolis Chesapeake <laughs> Bay Bridge two weeks ago. Um, and I pulled over after I got off the bridge. I had motherwort tincture with me. And I, and so I'm able to get across literally these bridges, but it, it took such a toll on my, um, on my body, mind, and spirit. So I'm just kind of open to ideas of coping, <laughs> preventative care, and just loving that this is a very deep place of vulnerability in me right now. One of the most beautiful bridges across the Hudson River is the kingston Rancliffe Bridge. And when that bridge was completed in the 60s, it was basically just a roadway. I mean, you know, there was a barrier at the side, so you couldn't go over, but you could see over the edge of that bridge. You could see up and down the Hudson River. It was gorgeous. I would go out of my way to go over that bridge because it was so beautiful. But because I did go over that bridge a lot, I would often, if I was a passenger in a car, um, be asked to drive someone else over the bridge who couldn't make it. Mm. They, you know, when you stop to pay the toll, they would say, is there another driver in this car? We have a line of cars over here with people who need to be driven across the bridge. Wow. So yeah. it's not just you. It, this happens to a fair number of people. But when they get up there going, wow, this is so cool. I can, like, see everywhere. They go, oh, no, and their body goes into real panic. Yes. Now, I will share with you something that one of my teachers shared with me close to 50 years ago. She asked me to describe the physical sensation of panic. Can you do that? Uh, I've experienced it in that moment of um, a lot of physiologic shaking in my arms, in my wrists, my hands are shaking. Um, and profusely sweating, mm-hmm. um, and pr- I have not. I've, and so there's that. And I think if I was not doing the chants, I would my my breathing in an in what I would associate with panic is that I would be very short of breath. Yeah. All right. Now let's pretend that you are incredibly excited about something. You are just like almost beside yourself with excitement. Physiologically, what would be happening? Um, very similar, but probably a little bit very more in similar. the stomach. That's said to me, yeah. she said, the difference between fear and excitement is your choice. Mm. She said, whenever you feel those physiological symptoms that you're calling fear, you can call it excitement. She said, you need to know when it's time to be afraid. If there's a great growling, slavering beast, you shouldn't say, wow, I'm excited. You should say, wow, I'm afraid. Mm. Right? You need to know when to be afraid and when to protect yourself. But you're driving over a bridge. The likelihood that something bad is going to happen to you is almost zero, right? Yes. Therefore, you can say to yourself, I'm not going to choose fear. I'm going to choose excitement. I'm still going to... All these theological things. I'm going to feel the shakiness. I'm going to be chanting. But I'm going to call it excitement. And that changes the chemicals your brain makes. Because your brain is no longer telling your adrenals 
to get ready to fight or flight. Mm. Right? Now yeah. your brain is saying, oh, something really exciting and wonderful is about to happen. Get ready for it. Let's get some endorphins going. So it's a way of using our own self-talk, our own understanding to create a situation where we can actually change our body. Yes, and that's, I think, what I'm interested in in, bring, in, in almost doing in a um, projecting. Like, so for the next time I have to go over the Tappan Zee Bridge, I, I've been working on really trying to see myself using the same chance that I know with, you know, my oat straw infusion um, and trying to, because I've done it every time, but I've been so surprised about how hard it's been for me. I hear my, you. I yeah. really hear you. And you're how old now? I I am in the heart of journeying to menopause. Of I, um, you are. I mean, 46. I mean, that's, it's so obvious to me that this is menopausal. Okay. Yeah, that will explain why it's never happened before. <laughs> This is part of menopause for you. Because yes. menopause is about going over a bridge. The very first cover in the very first edition of my menopause book showed several young women standing at one side of a bridge and an old woman standing at the other side of the bridge, and they were kind mm. of timorously looking at the bridge. Interesting. Yeah. Right? So, yes, you are both frightened and excited about yes. the fact that you are going over a bridge from yes. one part of your life to another. Yes. Yeah. Because I find that, that menopausal symptoms are often very symbolic. Mm. Like women say to me, oh, I just feel like I should, like, jump off a bridge. I go, yeah, that's menopause. You are jumping off a bridge. You don't have to, like, go and jump off a bridge. You're already doing right, it. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So I think that might also help you to say, I'm excited, and this is menopause. This is my metaphor of menopause here. Absolutely. No, it really does. Just, just even you using, using that sim- symbology is a very, very big help. I remember years ago on a blog talk radio, you gave um, perhaps an affirmation or a sentence to someone who called in, although this was about someone being in right relationship, you gave this sentence like, you know, you and this other person exist in the universe. And I, and I, I can't even, I'm not going to paraphrase you accurately, but it was, it was this three part spell part. The first is I, and you say your full name exists in the universe. Yes. Okay. This other person or persons, and you say their names, this person, da-da-da-da-da, exists in the universe, and this person, da-da-da-da-da, exists in the universe, and this person, da-da-da-da, however many there are, exists in the universe. And then the third part is there's a connection between us that brings about the greatest possible good. Mm, Thank you for the clarifying um, language of that, because that was the other part of me wanting to um, dance with this bridge of physiology of panic is, and I was, I was trying to recall um, just even using that casting language 
as a very rooted grounding strategy, although it's just about myself. It's about me get you know, like I could imagine. Could, it could be I, and you say your full name exists in the universe, and this bridge, and yes. you say its name exists in the universe, yes. and there's a relationship between us that brings about the greatest possible good. I, I'm in. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks for your delightful questions. Okay, Great. bye-bye. Dream blessings. Good night. Okay, we have one more caller have, for now. One and, more caller. Um, have, what, about 20 minutes? If you left? have a question for Susan, please make sure to press 1. The next caller is coming from the 609 area code. Oh, hi. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, so I'm a healthy 62-year-old, and my uh, couple dental questions. My, I occasionally feel an infection, and the dentist said, okay, we should pull this molar out. And is it possible for me to battle that infection if it's not constant? Certainly. Yes, that's what I wanted to learn. And, yeah. Uh, what would yeah, be I, the, uh, I was just working with a friend who... Uh, went to periodontist who said, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, we can do this and that, but really that tooth should just come out." And right. she asked me exactly the same question, and I suggested yarrow. Okay. And so she has been brushing her teeth with yarrow tincture and rinsing her mouth with yarrow tincture, and this particular tooth had a pocket at the gum, which is why she was at the periodontist and why he was suggesting that it be pulled because they. He said, this pocket is like a 10 and we'll never be able to fix it. And I mm-hmm. look around on the Internet until she found, I don't even know what it's called. It looks like a hypodermic needle. It's got that kind of plunger thing that you can hold in your hand. Right. right. Instead of a straight needle coming out from it, it has like a needle bent like an L so that you can inject stuff down into that gum pocket. Yeah, and but I, this is... And I roof. had her put yarrow tincture down in that gum pocket, and, and that was helpful. She saw the dentist. That ten was a five. Uh huh. Uh huh. And he said, know. "He said you keep yeah. this, up and we won't have to pull this tooth. So if there's any way, for, you need to get the yarrow tincture into where the infection is." I hear you. Okay. All right. Whatever you can do to get it into where the infection is, you know where it is. You're you'll be more adept right. at it than I am because I'm not there and I can't see it. So right. I'm not explaining what she did in her situation because I don't know what your situation is. But Correct. that that will often be enough to okay. turn it around and usually turn it around within three to four weeks. Wow, good. Well, I am brushing with arrow, so that's helpful. Maybe that's why it's gonna it's gonna turn around. I think so, and see if you can find some way to get it deeper into the, that particular tooth that's giving you a problem. Exactly. exactly. Right. Okay. Or do you work at all with echinacea? I have, yes. Can yeah. you explain that would the be difference the, between bacterial felt, and bar- If I felt like there was an infection starting in a tooth, I would start taking echinacea right away. I wouldn't wait for it to become infected. Exactly. And when do you choose echinacea versus St. John's wort? 
Echinacea increases the body's ability to make macrophages. Macrophages kill bacteria. Hypericum kills viruses. Okay. Lyme disease is more like a virus than a bacteria, although it has some characteristics of both. Okay. And a foot, I mean, a tooth infection is more bacterial. Absolutely. Okay, that's good to know. The yarrow kills bacteria on contact, whereas the echinacea, although it has a slight ability to do that because it's in alcohol, mostly kills bacteria by causing the body's immune system to make macrophages which kill the bacteria. So it works very differently than yarrow. Okay. Right, so the yarrow's for for in your mouth, on contact, where the infection is, and then the echinacea is systemic. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll let you know how it goes. Please do. It would be delightful. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> we did have somebody queue up with a question in the 206 area code. Hello, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I have been experiencing neck pain and severe headaches that are caused by tight muscle flare-ups, and they're not relieved by Advil or over-the-counter pain relievers. Um, CBD cream does offer only slight relief, um, and for three months, I've been receiving chiropractic care, which has reduced the number of flare-ups. Um, and I do expect continued improvement. And in the meantime, I wondered if you have any herbal suggestions to help relax the muscles and relieve pain during the spasms or flare-ups. And... Um, or also wondered if you had any other thoughts for me to consider. Both Rebecca and I will tell you that we keep the tincture of Hypericum perforatum nearby us all the mm-hmm. time. Work our bodies hard. Mm-hmm. And Hypericum both prevents and relieves muscle spasms. Mm, okay. It can be taken quite freely. It can be taken by the proper full, and that dose mm-hmm. can be eaten as frequently as you want it. Okay, I do have some. Wonderful. Mhm. I really depend on it, and I depend on it. Um, as you know, there's a new apprentice here, and mm-hmm. working hard this weekend. And so I'm going to be giving her a bottle of Hypericum tincture because I'm going to experience how hard she can work and take some Hypericum tincture and wake up the next morning and feel ready to do it all over again. Mm-hmm. But that is who run marathons who put Hypericum in their water bottle and swear they never have a Charlie horse, they never have a single sore muscle from running a marathon. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. You can use the oil topically as well. Massage, okay. massage therapists say that if they're massaging someone and they come to an area that's in a really big spasm, very knotted up, they rub mm-hmm. hyper 
on it, not even trying to do anything with that, not just rub up hypericum oil on it, go massage some other part of the body, come back in 10 minutes, and the knot is gone. Oh, I have the oil also. So you can use the oil. Some people have told me that they think the oil is more effective after a hot shower or a hot bath. Could be. Okay. Certainly mm-hmm. hot change the skin and make it a little more open to things. Mm-hmm. Spasms, mm-hmm. there's certainly nothing wrong with a hot shower or a hot bath. Mm-hmm. Works for you just to put them on your skin, that's fine. If it works for you to first, you know, pre-warm that skin and put that hypericum oil on and take tincture, that's another great thing to do. Whenever okay. We're dealing with spasms in the neck and the shoulders. Um, There are a variety of things that come up for most of us right away. So let's all bring our shoulders up as high as we possibly can, that our shoulders are attempting to cover our ears, right? So now what what are we experiencing? What do we feel? We feel protected. We feel like maybe somebody's going to hit us, but it can't hurt because we're protecting ourselves, or maybe somebody's going to mm-hmm. grab us. They can't because we're protecting ourselves. Now let your shoulders mm-hmm. go, and then let mm-hmm. your shoulders go more, and let your shoulders go more. And now even push your shoulders down and see if you can push them as far away from your ears as you can. And allow mm-hmm. yourself the vulnerability of that. Your neck and throat is exposed. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the the muscle spasms are protecting us. Mm-hmm. Our okay. body perceives our environment as threatening. Mm-hmm. There is something or someone in the environment that our body believes is going to grab us by the throat. Mm-hmm. It may not yeah, be. That's- it may not be true, and it may be true. Mhm. Yes, that's very fitting. Um, I think it's past trauma, not current. Yes, thank yes. you. That's very helpful. Yeah, and so if it's past trauma, you know, we can say to our body, "Thank you for protecting me." Mhm. That's not happening right now. Let's try vulnerability. Right. right. But we don't want to fight against our body when our body's protecting us. Right. Okay. Often the body is attempting to protect, and we're saying bad body, bad body. Mm-hmm. So to be grateful that our body is doing that, even though it's not working. Mm-hmm. And to say, let's find some more elegant things to do. Mm -hmm. It could be something as simple as wearing a special scarf that you have turned into a protective amulet. Mm -hmm. Could you repeat that, please? Um, You cut out a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I know the the I'm on the secondary phone and it's not as good, and that's because the primary phone didn't get hung up today, and so the charge went out. I do apologize, mm-hmm. but I will speak up and see if you can hear me. Um, okay. it, what we want to do is to show your body that you're going to take on that function of protecting yourself. 
Ah, yes. Your body doesn't have to create muscle spasms to protect your throat. Ah, okay. That could be something as simple as you get a special scarf that Mm. you see as a protection. And that when you put on that scarf, you're protecting yourself. And you say to your body, you don't have to do a thing. I'm protecting us. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you. Grateful to our body for protecting us, and we're going to say, mm-hmm. you're off the job now. It's on me. I'm doing mm-hmm. it. Right. Right? Yes. I hear you. Great. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You are so Very helpful. Okay. I think you're going to be feeling mm-hmm. lots better soon. Yes, me too. Thank you again. All right. Good night. Good night. It looks like we can get to this one last caller coming from the 720. Are you there in the 720? Hello. Yes, I am. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi, Susan. This is Anna. Uh, Your last two calls gave me a question. Okay. Uh, Which is, uh, in my work as a physical therapist and and other things, I've been really aware aware that low back pain, you know, often is related to financial things and security things. Um, And wondering about a spell for someone working with that. Interesting. Interesting. The image that comes to me is money belt. Uh Uh-huh. That they are wearing a heavy money belt, which is causing low back pain. Mm Mm-hmm. So where else, where else can that money be? How can we carry that money now? When I was in um, old Jerusalem, I was very interested in this, what nowadays would be called a belly dancing belt, a belt with things dangling off of it, right? But uh, yes. what it was called to me was a bank belt. And that this beautiful, gorgeous belt was how they kept their money because they weren't banks. Yes. And so rather than it being a heavy thing, it now becomes a decorative thing. Right, and it's not held tight. It's got it's got freedom of movement in it. Exactly. <laughs> You have such good questions. I hope you always ask me questions. Oh, I will. I will. I'll be seeing you next week to ask you more. Oh, goody, goody. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Uh, Yes. All right. I'll see you in Wisconsin, Anna. All right. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Wonderful. Well, I think that... Yeah, um, so it looks I, like Ain is here. So is Ain here? She's yeah. here. So I'll go ahead and let her through. Introduce Ain Kate Sullivan. She is an award-winning and best-selling author. Her focus is on mythology and folklore for the modern age. 
Dr. Sullivan obtained her Bachelor of Arts with honors at Hollins University and her Master's and Doctorate in Literature from Columbia University and King's College in London. Later, she obtained a Master's in Spiritual Psychology and is especially interested in working with individuals who want to remember their inner grail. Ayn Kate Sullivan also works with a select group of emerging writers each year. Her series, The Legends of the Grail, was successfully launched in 2017. And the first volume, Legends of the Grail, Stories of Celtic Goddesses, sold out on the first day and has since gone on to have wide acclaim. The Stories of Celtic Goddesses is a collection of Irish myths with the missing or untold stories of women recounted in first person. Her second and newest volume, Heroines of Avalon and Other Tales, is a collection of Celtic and Arthurian myths and legends focusing on the heroine's healing journey. Now, I will just share here, in the middle of this introduction, that when Louisa Tisch was here, and I said something about a heroine, she turned on me and she said, Heroine is what you shoot in your arm. Hero is a Greek word, and the female is Hera. There are no heroines. There are Heras. And that has really stayed with me. Thank you, Tish, for reminding me to be a Hera. Also, the author of an award-winning series of inspirational children's books, Ayn Kate Sullivan, has won more than 30 literary awards for her works. She continues to write about and lead programs that inspire us all to experience our own Grail Quest. Welcome to the show, Ayn. Thank you for having me. What a delight. You are really focused in on the Grail Quest and writing quite a bit about it. What inspired you to do this? Where did you first learn about the Grail? Well, first of all, I, I have to say that I love this idea of the Hera. I've never really thought about it, and I love it. Isn't it fabulous? It's, and it's absolutely true. Of course, maybe it's a little Greek or a little, but, um, but I love the idea. I love, I love it. Of course, we would be a hero and a Hera instead of a heroine. And, and you know, when I, when I tell people that I've written a book about the, the heroines of Avalon, people say, well, why would you write a book about heroin? Thinking the drug, of course. <laughs> and then I have to describe what what Avalon is, but of course I'm speaking about the uh, the feminine, the feminine ar- archetype. Um, so uh, what happened for me was that you know at a, at a certain point in my life, I was in my 20s, I was in England, and I was working on my doctorate, and I'm looking at all sorts of busts of, of men in the library, and I was really wondering what my particular role was there. And um, having been given the Overseas Research Award, I got to go to the west coast of Ireland, and I was collecting the folklore of Lady Gregory. Actually, I was reading what she had collected. And I started to run across these incredible women, these women, these, these heroines, these goddesses. And, um, and I, was, I was just blown away with, by the fact that they, were, they, that they were revered, that they were considered equals. And some, in, in some cases, there was a, some people think there was matriarchal culture. And so, and so I started to just track them. And of course, one that I love, that you, you might really love as well, is, is an old woman named the, the Kaliach. And um, the Kaliach is known as the old woman of the world. And if you go looking for her, 
you might just find her in a cave with a large cauldron, a very large pot with all the seeds of all the healing herbs in the world. And she's stirring them, and she knows which each one does. Yes, she has been described as the Irish Kali. Yes, she can be yes. the Kali, the Kaliak, and then she has other names too. She appears in Arthurian legend as Kundri or Ragnall. She, so she can appear in, in a, with other guises. But I like her as the Kaliak. Has some character-like characteristics too. Exactly, exactly. So when she's. I, when I read what you were doing, I thought, aha, at last Rhiannon gets to speak for herself. Yes, Rihanna and the shapeshifter. And also, uh, did you see Aaron Rood in Blue Dye with? Oh, wonder. <laughs> oh, I haven't actually got, I didn't get a copy of the book. I'm, I will I'll look for it. So, um, one, so, so Rihanna, of course, is a horse goddess, but, but the, the one that starts the heroines of Avalon is actually Rihanna. Um, and she begins by, by standing outside and singing so that her, her song uh, meets the songs of the stars and that they start to co-create all of life together. Actually, as I'm saying this, all these fireflies are coming around me. <laughs> it's really kind of fun. But that's what she does. She sings out, and then, and then the world listen to, listens to her and sings back to her so that they enter into this lovely co-creation. So, so her story is told there. And also the, the story of Bludiwis, who was a, a, flower, a flower goddess. And, and it's a rather difficult story because in, in Welsh mythology, she was considered a, a murderer, murderer and an adulteress. And so what I've done with, with all the stories in, in this, these books is that I've um, researched how, how they were given throughout the year. And of course, you know, pre-Christian times, they were revered, and then Christianity comes in, and most of them were demonized. And now, and now they're sort of coming back out, and we're, we're trying to figure out what, what, what the archetype is, what the story really is. And so, so the first part is scholarly. And then what I did was I went to each place where these characters, these, these beings, these go- they're actually deities that reside in the land, so where these deities reside. And I went and went to communion with them, and what they did was they started to present their stories in first person. So somebody like Bludaiwis, Starts to explain what it is like to have having one, you know, at one point she was a flower, quite happy in the field. She's actually a little bouquet of flowers, happy in the field. And then because Lou, the sun god, knew Lou needed a wife, uh, some magicians conjured her into, into a woman. And she has one purpose, and her purpose as a woman is to be his wife. And which is fine for about seven years until he goes off into battle. And then once he goes off into battle, she's a flower goddess. <laughs> so what does a flower goddess do? You know, she, she looks around. And, and so, so I love the way that she, she explains her, um, her, mer- her merging consciousness. So that, and you understand that she, she, has, the, she has the consciousness of a flower. She, she's there to procreate, and she's there to ripen, and she's there to spread her seeds. And, and as, as she's becoming human, something else is required of her that she doesn't quite understand. And so the great Erin Rood gives her the opportunity to choose again. And what, well, I'll have to, I'll have to leave it. So you have to find out what she chooses. But 
Anyway, it's quite magical. Oh, <laughs> love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, reminds me of what Charlene Spretnik did with the Lost Goddesses of Early Greece. Ah. You know, well, you of, know, yeah. of going and saying, mm-hmm. excuse me, Persephone chose to go into the underworld. Persephone said, excuse me, Mom, I'm getting old <laughs> And I don't want to, like, hang out with Mom. I've had a great offer. I'm going to go be the queen of the underworld. Bye. Bye. And I'll see you half of the year. It'll be terrific. Right. And her mom pitches, you know, such a fit that she says, all right, all right, I'll stay with you half the year. Exactly. We can't create a wasteland on the planet. This will be, this will be terrible. So, yes, okay, we'll, we'll find a balance between the underworld and the middle world. She doesn't yeah. have to fight. She doesn't have to be a plan of all these male gods. It could just be the kind of ordinary teenage, hi, I need my own life. I, I lo- actually, I love the Persephone archetype. Cause I, I, do think, I do think she's very playful and that she's not afraid to travel into shadowy places and discover her own magic and her own sovereignty. So she, she is incredible. The only day, mm-hmm, problem with that is that, it, that then we don't need Balbo, and Balbo is one of my favorite characters in that story. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, the reason I, I I went I went looking for the Celtic this was interesting because I I grew up I grew up loving Greek and Roman mythology I love astrology also but I I grew up loving these characters but when I was in Ireland and and I'm 99 percent my my DNA test says I'm 99 percent Western European so there's 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 a reason I think I'm called to these places. But I'm there, and I'm reading the work of Lady Gregory. Now, Lady Gregory was, existed, she was W.B. Yeats's patron. He was a very famous poet, and she, she gave him broth in the morning so that he could write his poetry, and, and she gave him a place to stay. And we have great literary works because, because of this. But what she also did was travel around in her pony and trap, learn Gaelic, and bring the Irish stories back to the people. So she became very famous for this. And she went to Trinity College and said, look, you, know, you might have all, all these stories of other cultures, and this is, all, this is great, but what about, what about the stories that live in our own land? We're sta- we have incredible stories of Queen Maeve and Gulnavarhevna and Emer, and these are terrific stories. So she, she founded the Abbey Theater in Dublin, and they started putting these plays on. And, of course, originally there were riots because at a certain point, if you spoke Gaelic or you knew herbal medicine or you, any of these things, they, you, you would be killed. And so she, she went against the establishment, and the people loved the stories. They were so happy to find the stories of their land. And so happy also, I think, to find, to find stories of, of say, um, Anu, who becomes Anya, who is a solar goddess, and it's very rare to find something like a solar goddess. A, a solar goddess, a solar no, goddess. No, really it is, ra- no, it is not rare. Well, well, well. <laughs> but in, in in Greek and Roman mythology, they're almost always lunar goddesses, correct? Uh, but only in Roman and Greek. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, you might fill me in on this one. But I was, I was, del- I think I have run a- across some in India and in Asia. And Amaratsu in Japan. Yes, Amaratu, of course, of course. Anyway, the first solar uh, goddess. I, lo- I love it, though. I love it because, but the first solar goddess that I was aware of was Anya, and 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 the sun loves everyone, and that's why she's a woman. But the moon is fickle, and that's why it's a man. 
Oh, I like that. I do like that. That's really good. Well, you, you know, you can't really, you, you know, that's what I love about goddesses is they shapeshift. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I don't, I wanted to finish the thing about the solar goddess before I get off track, but I love, so once upon a time, down in southwest Ireland in Cork, there are these two, I think it's near Cork, there are these two, the Paps of Anu, there are these two hills, and so what they would do is they, they, would, they would build these little, these little chimneys on each hilltop, and they would light her nipples to ensure that, that she was excited and that she would bring new life in. <laughs> and I always loved that, you know, that they would, they would call in the solar goddess in that way to bring the warmth and, and return to the land. So, so they would but, build chimneys on the hilltops that were her breasts, and the chimneys were the nipples, and then they would light a fire so that yeah. she would be excited in the spring and bring forth new life. Isn't that fun? That is so fabulous. Oh, <laughs> take that. Take that, Maypole. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So they're very, very fun stories. Um, and there were other stories that, that I got, I, I really fell in love with too, such as um, the story of the swan. So, so when I started looking for the, for the feminine face of the divine um, uh, and found Anya and Skyach and all these wonderful ones, the other thing that I ran across, this was in the story of... Um, of uh, Angus Og and his beloved care, and so right at the bend of the the mouth of the of the Boyne, there's a there's a place called the the mouth of the dragon, and supposedly there's a there's a white swan that swims there, and if and if at some point in your life you really want to find healing because you feel like ah there's soul loss there's something there's something I don't remember or there've been too many traumas or something's happened and I'm feeling broken, you go to this place where the swan is, and you call that swan, and if you're lucky, that swan will come to you, and you climb on the back of the swan, and then, right as the sun sets and the crack of the world's open, you fly on the back of the swan all night long to the sky, and you collect all the things that you've lost. And you might also find your treasures and the things that are true about you that you've forgotten. And all night you fly on the swan that has now turned black, that is taking you through all of creation. And right as the sun rises and the crack opens again, you fly back onto the swan who turns white and arrives back into the dragon's mouth. And you step off whole. You step off as the grail. You become the grail. Absolutely. You find your wholeness. Tell us what the grail is and what it means to become the grail. Well, that, that, that's been my journey, and it's been a long journey, a 35-year journey so far. And when I first started, I, went look, I looked for Mary Magdalene because that was the chalice. That was what I thought I was looking for, the, the, grail, the grail of the Christ. But as I looked deeply into that well and had the experience of the, the dark mother, I realized there was an ancient tradition here that I, I just started to scratch the surface of. So as I, as I went to all of these stone circles and sacred wells and sacred springs and places where the thin places in the world where, where you can contact the fairy folk, where you can hear the stories that still want to be told, I realized there's a very deep healing magic, which I'm sure you know all about. But there's a very deep healing magic that we can start to tap into when we find our roots. 
when we find our roots, the tree can grow. And so what, uh, over time, I realized it's not just the face of the feminine, it's, it's everything. But it's your wholeness, it's your completeness, it's finding all, everything that is you. And so, of course, in that center is your spark, is your own sun, is your own light, and uh, your own divine nature. So, so the grail is your wholeness, is your completeness, is who you are, your true nature in this moment. One of the contrasts that is often made is that the goddess path is about imminence. It's about mm-hmm. seeing the God within, within mm-hmm. us, in everything around us. And that the God path is often a path of setting something up. In other words, I don't hear people on the goddess path even using the word worship. Mm-hmm. It's oh, like, well, they can't. It, I, I've heard of the... Well, yes, I, I I absolutely follow what you're saying. Something, um, set something up as a thing, a thing that we worship because mm-hmm, inside mm-hmm. of us, yeah. and the goddess path gives us all of these different goddesses so that we can recognize the the spirit in ourselves, no matter who we are. Maybe we're the adul- adulterer. Here's a goddess who's an adulterer. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're the one who yells. Here's the banshee. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. This was, this was exactly what I, people people often ask me. What what I feel the difference is between the hero hero's path and the heroine's path, and eminence is a good word, because you know the hero hero's path. If you think of King Arthur, he's riding out to slay the dragon. He's going to do something and going to accomplish something, which is fine. And our our world kind of tends to function that way. But the heroine's path. Or what I discovered going to these sacred wells and streams and listening to the plants and listening to what the trees had to say and so forth, is that you're, being, you're really being trained not only to understand all these many, many, many archetypes, all these goddesses and deities that are actually you, and, uh, or gosh, are they, well, that's another question. But what we're really learning to do is we're really learning to listen. We're really learning to listen. We're learning to attune. We're learning to... to um, see with with our with the eyes with the eyes of the soul and the heart and the belly. We're learning we're learning to feel the presences that are there, and that's really what I feel. In the, when I'm in the goddess stronghold in in Glastonbury, that's what I feel. I feel the nine ladies of the lake, and I feel them both externally and I feel them internally. So I've never quite answered that question. You might have something to say about that. For me, in my personal path, um, I had a Catholic mom and a Jewish dad (laughs) and grew up in Dallas where you weren't supposed to really be either Catholic or Jewish. (laughs) So I got comparative religion at home from the jump. Mm -hmm. And then my babysitters, you know, took me out to Holy Rollers and the Onward Christian Soldiers. And, I mean, I got the whole thing of it so it was pretty easy by the time I was 14 to not believe in any of it right at, w- at which point I encountered Zen mm-hmm. which, which said, is easy because then everything is nothing <laughs> which every, believe in anything everything is I'm like yeah hey people who think like I do <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to thank that open field of Zen that mm-hmm. Zen helped cultivate as being the field in which the goddess could grow. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I do feel that. If we can if we can be quiet, if we can really enter into this deep meditation, and of course a Vipassana practice would really help with that. If when you're in nature long enough, when you're in the you know, the stone circles long enough, then something can occur. Then you can feel the presence of the goddess. And and when I first started experiencing it was always external. She was always outside and I could feel her and I could smell roses. And I and so and then I would listen. I had to learn to listen, you know. And it's it's very in the beginning, especially it's very subtle. And then over time, the qualities that I felt and the first goddess I really really came to know uh, intimately was Danu, um, who probably is similar to Demeter actually. By <laughs> but but to really feel that that mother goddess, and then I started to feel those those qualities that she held externally. I started to really feel them awakening within me. As I became a mother, as I had my children, raised my children, I felt her qualities within me. Um, and then she started to introduce me. Every period of time, she would introduce me to these others, to the others, to the others. And, of course, they all have these different qualities and capacities, like Anya, who's the, who's the brilliancy, the brilliancy of the sun. And... Um, and I, and I just love all these, di- all the different, the rainbow arrays of all the different things we can be. And so, of course, eventually, um, the Grail helps in our, in our flight on the Swan, helps us understand that we are all things, that we are the nothing and we are the everything. And then we can locate ourselves in that one place of awareness where the, you know, where the trees whisper, where the medicine is there for us, where the healing of our soul can happen. It's incredibly beautiful. So beautiful, and we are so all blessed and honored to have you bringing this forward for us. This is Susan Weed. I'm t- talking with Dr. Ayn Kate Sullivan, the author of a great series called Legends of the Grail. Right here at about the halfway point, why don't you tell listeners where they can connect with your books? Not only Legends of the Grail, but your inspirational children's books, too. Absolutely. Well, I'm easy to find on the Internet. Um, my first name is spelled A-Y-N, and middle name C-A-T-E-S, and then Sullivan, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N. So if you look up A-Y-N, you'll probably find me, but AnnKateSullivan.com. And the books are available on my website, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just about every bookstore. You can, you can find them, or, or also Kindle. So the children's series are fun, too. Um, and they actually almost happened by accident. I guess nothing's by accident, but uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a fun story because I had just written these tales uh, for my kids as, as they were growing up because I wanted them to know something about the Celtic people and the, the indigenous people of Europe and the, the close connection to the land. I mean, they're very similar in a lot of ways to the Native Americans. Uh, the, I loved the Druids, the, the spiritual people of the place. And so I would write these little stories for them. And one day I come, I come into my daughter's room, and, and this woman is sitting on the bed, and she's just, she's a friend of mine, and she's just bawling her eyes out. And I said, what's going on? And she said, um, I have to illustrate your stories. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay, well, why not? So, so that was the beginning of the Sparkle series, and it, it's about a little girl who is just at that point, about the you know, nine-year-old point where she's just, starting to feel like 
ah, am I, should I give up this magic? Should I get, give up this magic and enter this adult world where fairies no longer exist? And she, just, she decides absolutely not, no, that she's going to, to stay with, this, with her, the magical world and her mother and grandmother support her in that. So that whole, whole series is about meeting fairies and being different and being clairvoyant and clairaudient and being a, a, a light worker. And um, the, the one that did incredibly well uh, was actually uh, called, it's actually called a story of becoming, and um, that's the story of a tree from the the perspective of the tree. And and the story actually came to me when I was in Glastonbury at the Talus Well. And Avalon is the otherworldly, the Isle of Glass, the otherworldly place. And sometimes Glastonbury is known as the entry place to this land of magical women, the ladies of the lake, the the healing women of the other world. So anyway, I was laying there and I was thinking about these magical healing women, and the story kind of dropped in. Um, but so it starts out with the story. It's a little seed, and the and the seed is very. It's, it's prompted to grow, and it's feeling this excitement, and it's feeling like a firefly. You know, it's feeling like oh, okay, it's time for me to to have my life now. So it starts to sprout, and all the the little lovely deities come and they support it, and it comes up through the loamy soil and then it's got these lovely leaves and and it it's able to see itself in, in a reflection and it notices that it's a tree. So it starts to, to realize, oh my goodness, and not only am I a tree but I'm quite shapely and I have these leaves and they look like this and and then one day the deer come and uh they eat the tree. And so then all of a sudden, oh, she's deformed and she has to go back underground and she has to find her roots again and she doesn't know if she can possibly do this. And But, you know, winter comes and winter goes and the springtime comes and they light the nipples of Anu <laughs> and the life force is strong and so she comes back again. And, and every year she gets stronger and she creates these wonderful, delicious red apples. And people love her apples and they come from all over to eat her apples. But one night, there's a terrible storm, and the winds blow, and the, and the lightning rages, and then she's hit, and there's a, there's a searing right through the middle of her being, and she thinks that's it, that she, that's all over, and she sort of rises up behind her, her trunk. But in the morning, she isn't gone. She's still there. She has a scar down the middle. But the one thing that's different, other than the scar, is that she has golden apples instead of red apples. And now they're magical apples, and people come from all over to collect her apples because their wishes and their dreams come true. When they ask for healing, their healings happen. But after a while, the local establishment decides they don't like this talk of miracles, and so they have her dug up, and they take her off to study her inside this, this place. And... They pick all of her apples off, and they look all, at all the apples under a microscope, and then they throw her out. They say, no, she's just a regular old apple tree, just like any other. But she has one little tiny shriveled apple left. And so she makes a wish for herself that someone that she's helped in this world will find this apple, and that they'll hear her wish, and that they'll come, and they'll take her home again. And so she drops this little apple <clears throat> into the river, and sure enough, 
that night a woman has a dream and she says, honey, honey, we've got to go. We have to go. We have to go now and find the apple tree she's calling to us. And so a whole community comes looking for her and they find her and she's kind of shriveled up, but they still know who she is and they, they take her back to her meadow that has cried so much it has become a lake. It's now a misty lake. And so they plant her there and they tend her and she's she's able to grow again and her her apples, her golden apples come back and the deer come and protect her and she's kind of surrounded in this this little mist. So if you're ever lucky enough to find yourself at the base of the golden apple tree, get down on your knees and make the greatest wish that lives in your heart because the miracle tree is listening. That a delicious story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We have the most rare thing happen here. It's not entirely rare for fruit tree seeds to grow from my compost. I do a long, cool compost so it does not kill seeds because I like my weed seeds. Mm. So when we put compost on the gardens, I've had, oh, several peach trees grow. But I had an apple tree grow from the compost. Now, 99 times out of 100, the apple that grows from a seed will be completely inedible. Ah. Apples do not grow true from seed. So if you plant an apple seed from, say, a golden delicious apple, it will not grow golden apples. Mm. Hmm. So where do they come from? Grass. Grass. They have to be deep in the grass. It's it's interesting because the way that Belle drew... The little seed when she when she's coming, she's deep she's deep in the soil and she's way under the grass. So maybe there was a little intuition there. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Mm. Grow apple trees from seeds, but they won't bear edible fruit. Hmm. Interesting. All edible fruited apples are grafted. They're all grafted. Hmm. All grafted. So we had the miracle happen. We got an apple seed that sprouted in the compost, has grown a beautiful apple tree, and the apples are edible. Ah, so it does happen. It's just rare. Hmm. Very rare, yeah. And we're just so, we feel so gifted by the goddess. And tell me this goddess. So maybe you have a miracle tree also, right there. (laughs) Does the tree have a name, or is it just a miracle tree? The book, the book is called A Story of Becoming. A Story of Becoming. That is so A wonderful. Story of Becoming. It's, it's, it's been very <laughs> successful. It's had, I think, 250,000 downloads and has won 18 literary awards. And people, I oh. read it as a children's book, but it was picked up as a spiritual fable, and it has done incredibly well. Oh, and, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe so. we're almost at the last few moments of the show, mm-hmm. and I to give this last little bit of time to you with this question. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds and the bellies of those who are listening tonight? Ah, Well, tonight as I stand looking over a dark lake with fireflies glistening all over it, I want everyone to remember their magical inner child and never, never forget, never forget that it's important to ask questions. It's important to be here on this earth. It's important to live. It's important to grow. It's important to be exactly who you are. <laughs> Thank you, Ayn. This is Susan Weed. I'm talking to Ayn Kate Sullivan. That's A Y N C 
C A S S U L L I V A N Ain Kate Sullivan. A really delightful beaver of <laughs> the healing cloak of the ancients, which so many of us are adding threads. Healing Cloak of the Ancients is growing, it's shimmering, it's going to cover the world when we're... <laughs> thank you, Ayn. Thank, thank you. And <laughs> thank you, Rebecca, for helping me move forward with restoring herbal medicine as people's medicine. It is the medicine that grows right outside you. Green blessings, everybody. Thanks for listening in, and I'll be with you next week. And let's see, next week I'll be talking to you from Wisconsin. That will be fun. Sounds good. Have a great trip. Thank you so much. And thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. I win.